Unafraid, living with courage and hope. Fear is an emotional response to a perceived danger. And all of us have had experiences of fear in our lives. Sometimes we've been afraid for very good reason, because there really was danger. And that fear then has been helpful to us. And sometimes our fear is irrational, not really connected to any danger. But regardless, either way, when we experience this emotion of fear, it changes how we think, how we act, how we feel. A common fear among many human beings is a fear of being alone. And by being alone, I mean that most all of us here, at some point in time or another in our lives, have experienced a sense of loneliness. Most all of us have had times where we have wondered if anybody notices, if anybody cares. And most all of us have had times where we've wondered if we could possibly make it on our own. Afraid that we would not be able to make it on our own. Fear of being alone. Now, loneliness is this feeling of alienation, of separation. And we can feel loneliness even in a big crowd. I mean, we can feel lonely in our own home with family. We can feel lonely here in the sanctuary with all these people. We could even feel lonely at a sold-out Golden Knights playoff game, right? We can feel lonely in a crowd. Similarly, we can be alone and not feel lonely. I mean, I like being alone. Many of you know I'm an introvert, and as an introvert, I kind of like alone time. Not that I get that much of it. Here's a picture of a, my family on Easter Sunday afternoon. I'm going to pull that up now. And this is a picture of part of my immediate family. Uh, in our backyard is a beautiful Easter Sunday afternoon. Not all the family could be there. Troy was having to work that day. Um, and, of course, Lydia and her boyfriend, Ryan, they're in Chicago. But most of the family was, was there. And Jerry and I are blessed. We're blessed that... You know, eight of our nine children live here in Las Vegas, and all of our grandchildren are here. And so we get to see them, and we get to see them often. And that means a lot of things, including we're blessed, and it also means I don't get a whole lot of alone time. <laughs> but when I do, when I do get that alone time, I love it. I love it because it's just so quiet. And I need that, and maybe you need that too. I'll tell you this, when I'm alone, I am never afraid of being alone. But what if all those folks that were up there in the screen were no longer close by? I might start feeling a little lonely. Or what if, God forbid, something were to happen to Jerry? I mean, many of you know all too painfully well, 
how quickly we can begin to feel all alone, even when there's people around us who care for us. Loneliness. And loneliness isn't something we experience simply in times of loss. We actually live in a, in a culture, in a society, where there's an increasing amount of separation, of, of isolation, maybe even alienation. The world has changed so dramatically. It wasn't that long ago where people lived their whole lives in one place. You get born into this place and then you grow up in that same place and, and you work in that place and you grow old in that place and you die in that place and you're buried in that place. My wife's great-grandmother lived on Grand Manan Island her whole life. Grand Manan Island is a little island in the Bay of Fundy off of the New Brunswick coast, eight miles wide, 20 miles long, a little island. And she lived there for 99 years. She only left the island like twice, once for a surgery. I mean, she just stayed there her whole life, as did other people too, which meant she knew people for her whole life. They knew her for, for their whole life. And you can't help but develop deeper relationships when you know people when you're with them for so long. I mean, you do get the whole, you know, everybody's in everybody else's business thing. But still, you know people, and they know you. And now, the average person moves about eight times over the course of their lifetime, which means we don't live in one place longer than maybe, you know, seven years or so. But likewise, our neighbors, they don't live in the same place forever either. And it becomes easier and easier for us to not engage in those kinds of relationships because they're going to be gone. And when you add to that changes in work, I mean, it used to be that a person could work the same job their whole life. In more recent years, a worker would usually work two or three different jobs over the course of a lifetime. But now our millennial generation, our younger generation, they're being told that in order to get ahead in this world, you have to change jobs every three years. That's how you get promoted, by changing jobs. And so those relationships that would be formed over the course of a long period of time at work, those are beginning to disappear too. You add to that some of the brokenness that comes from divorce and what that means to relationships. And, well... I mean, we do have social media, right? Right? We do use technology to stay connected to po folks that we used to know, the people we've met along our journey. How many of you here are on Facebook? Okay, a lot of hands go up. Instagram? Fewer hands. Twitter? Even fewer. Okay. Okay, but we do have social media, and that's important because it helps us stay connected to people that we've known in the past. I mean, I know that in any given night, I can get on Facebook, and I can see somebody I used to know see what they're eating for dinner. <laughs> right? But as important as it is to be able to have those kinds of connections using technology, it is not the same as sitting down at a table with somebody and sharing a meal with them. Just like receiving a text with a smiley face emoji 
is not the same as getting a hug from that person. And we long for those kinds of relationships, those close relationships, those close bonds of love. We're created for them. Do you know what the single most important indicator is for happiness in retirement? The single most important indicator of happiness in retirement is not the size of a pension fund. And it is not how many sunshine days there are where you live. And it's not how many days you spend on a golf course. And it's not even health. The most important indicator of happiness in retirement? Relationships. People with whom you've invested your life, who have invested their lives in you. And yet we live in a time of isolation where we move around so much and it's harder to make those bonds. Did you know that in the Bible, the very first time God says that something is not good, the very first time God says something is not good, he's saying, being alone, loneliness is not good. Let's pause and turn our attention to the reading of Scripture. Today's Scripture reading comes from Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 and 18, and then Psalm chapter 139, verses 5 and 8 through 10. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to till it and keep it. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper as his partner. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and settle at the farthest limits of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me fast. This has been the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable unto thee, O Lord our God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So the Bible begins with two creation stories. The first one, Genesis chapter 1, tells us of an almighty God who's able to create simply by speaking the word, create something out of nothing. And in Genesis chapter 1, we learn that everything that is comes from the Word of God, God speaking into creation. It's also there where we hear that we were created in God's image, we are created in God's image, and that we are good. Oh, everything that God created 
God said, it's good, it's good, it's good. We are good. And then we come to Genesis chapter 2 and chapter 3, a, a second creation story, and this one's more personal. Because while Genesis chapter 1 shows us this all-powerful God, Genesis chapter 2 helps us to see that this all-powerful God chooses to be involved in our lives in personal ways. Gets involved with us in very personal and intimate ways. In Genesis chapter 2, we hear the story of Adam and Eve. It begins with Adam. As God creates Adam out of the dirt. Out of dirt. The stuff that can blow away in the wind. The stuff that turns to mud when it gets wet. Cracks when it dries. Does explain a lot of things, doesn't it? <laughs> okay. Create us out of dirt. And then after creating all of the animals, God says to Adam, it is not good that a person live alone. Not good that a person have to live alone. After having said how everything that God created is good, the very first time we hear of something not being good, it has to do with loneliness. It's not good that we have to be alone. And we often hear in this passage something about marriage, but it's it's about much more than marriage. It's about God's response to human need. It's about how it is that God responds to our loneliness. God cares about us, responds to that loneliness. So how is it that God responds? Well, now we have the story of Eve. God creates another human being. We'll call this one human being 2.0, the new and improved version. Okay? Created out of bone, strong, out of bone. Because you're going to have to be strong to live with Adam. Just saying. Okay? And, and so we have community. Again, we like to think of this as a story about marriage, but it's about so much more. It's about companionship. Something that we're hardwired for. We're created to be in relationship with one another hardwired to be in relationship with one another. We spend the first nine months of our lives inside of our mother's womb. And when we've developed enough to feel, we can feel her heartbeat. And when we've developed enough to hear, we can hear her voice. When we are born into this world, from that moment on, we are seeking relationships. As an infant, we want to be held. As a child and as a youth, we want to have friends. Throughout all of our lives, we are seeking to be in relationship with other people. And when we get to the end of our life, when our life is all but over, what is the last thing, the, the thing that we want most as we get near death? Human touch. Somebody to be with us. We're created to be in relationship with one another. And yet, we live in a time of increasing isolation, separation, alienation, as we move about and change jobs and try to stay connected through social media. But increasingly, we hear people saying they are afraid of being alone in this world. Now, throughout the Bible, we hear God say, do not be afraid. 
Remember, that's the most commonly spoken phrase in all the Bible. Do not be afraid. And that phrase, what God is saying about fear, is that we don't have to... It it intersects with a lot of different kinds of needs that we have, but certainly it intersects with this one, with this fear of being alone, with isolation, with loneliness. Do not be afraid. In the common wisdom of our day, kind of worldly wisdom, we hear that you got to make it on your own. You come into this world alone, you go out of this world alone, and you got to be able to make it on your own. But the Bible tells us that we are never really alone. And in the Bible, we hear God respond to this human need in many, many ways. One of the ways that God responds to our need for relationships is through the gift of the church itself. Now, when Jesus went about his ministry, touching people's lives, bringing transformation to their lives, well, that's not all he did. I mean, he did that, and that was important, but he also then gathered those people together into community. Remember, speaking of Peter, he says, upon this rock, I will build my church. Now, people who are gathered together, all having been touched by Jesus, it's who we are. And later, Jesus says to this gathering of people who've been touched by him, I give you this commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. This is how the world will know that you are my followers, that you love one another. And in those words, we hear that how it is that we live with one another is one of our greatest witnesses to the way to the difference Jesus has made to us in our lives. How we live with one another here in the church is one of our greatest witnesses to the difference Jesus has made for us in our lives. At our best, at our best, we welcome people and we accept people for who they are. At our best, this is not a place where we have to pretend that we're somebody we're not. This is a place where we're allowed to be who we are. At our best, this is a place where we love one another, where we open our lives to one another in order to get to know one another and be known by each other. Here, in this place, I open my life to you. I mean, if you've been here for any length of time, you kind of know me, right? You know where I've come from. You know some of my life story. You know my hopes and dreams for the future. You know about the people in my life who I love. You know what I believe, what I stand for. I open my life up to you. And you open your lives up to me, to each other. And and when we do that, this bond, it grows strong. Not that it's easy. It's not always easy to open our lives up to one another because as soon as we do, well, it's not too long until we find out that there's some things we disagree upon. There's some things that we adamantly disagree upon. 
But when we remember this command of love, those things that we disagree upon, things that in the world bring about great division, here, they dim, they dim in the face of love. We open ourselves to one another in community. Of course, open ourselves up to one another, it, it requires something of us, right? It's not like if you just show up on a Sunday, suddenly you know me and I know you. We have to take time to connect with one another. And this is one of the great blessings of church community life, because here relationships can develop very, very quickly. I mean, deep and profound, meaningful relationships. They can develop quickly in this place, because here we talk about the things that are most important in life. Here we think about the things that matter to us the most. Here we pray for one another. And here we support and encourage each other along our journey. Here relationships can develop deep and meaningful relationships can develop quickly. And that's important in a transient world. I mean, just over the last couple of months, I can name about 50 people from our church who have moved out of Las Vegas. We look around and we see some seats that are empty. They used to be occupied with somebody we knew. Somebody new is going to fill those seats. And so it's important for us as a body to to recognize that we can develop these kinds of relationships if we're intentional about it, and we can do so in a pretty short amount of time. It's also important for us to remember that when new people come, one of the things that people are looking for is a place to belong. And so not only do we welcome people, but we help them to find a place of belonging in the community. We all need people in our lives. We need people in our lives. It's also important to remember that some people who come to this church are lonely. We may have people here today who are lonely. And I pray, I pray that someone who comes here feeling lonely leaves a little less lonely because of having been here. A quick word for our online worshipers. You're not here. You're where you are, wherever that may be. And hopefully there is some people there that you can connect with in this kind of deep Christian community that I'm talking about. And if there aren't, well, then contact the church. Contact us, wherever you are. Maybe we can help you to get connected into somebody else. You know, we got a lot of homebound worshipers online too. For those of you who are homebound, let us know what you need. We need to bring it to you. You can't come to us, so we bring it to you. One of the ways that God responds to our need for deep and meaningful relationships in life is through this gift of Christian community, the church, and the love that can bind us together as a people. That's one way. There are other ways that God responds as well. Another way that God responds to this need is with a promise. Lo, I am with you always until the end of time. We sing. What a friend we have in Jesus. We sing. 
He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. A central belief of the Christian faith is that we can have a personal relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And Christian spirituality is all about nurturing this personal relationship with Jesus Christ. As we pray, as we worship, as we study, as we serve, God is at work in our lives, growing us ever closer to the one we follow, the one through whom we have life itself, drawing us ever closer to the one who already knows us. God already knows you. The Lord already knows you. The Lord knows where you've come from. The Lord knows what you've gone through. The Lord knows the good and the bad and the ugly of, of life. The Lord knows your hopes and your dreams. The Lord knows where you're at in this very moment, this day. And the Lord wants us to be in relationship with him. Oh, we're good at pushing him away. We're good at pushing Jesus away, but he's even better at staying close, just waiting for that opportunity for us to say, here I am. Remember from the book of Isaiah, the Lord says, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine, says the Lord. We already belong to God, already been claimed by God, invited into this relationship with God. And therein, we find courage and we find hope and we're able to live a life unafraid. Thanks be to God. Amen? Amen. Amen.